What's going on, Trail and Ultra Runners? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast, a podcast where we explore all areas of ultra running, including training, racing, nutrition, physiology, psychology, as well as have a little bit of fun banter along the way. And this episode of the podcast is definitely full of the fun banter I have on today none other than Megan Hicks and Brian Powell of I Run Far. You guys will recognize them for the incredible race coverage that they do in any normal year. But as we all know, this is not a normal year. And so I brought them on the podcast today to really discuss that. What is going on in trail and ultra running right now? What have they learned throughout the course of this pandemic? What are the good things that are going to come as a product of all of us going through this pandemic? And when are we going to get to see each other again? When are we going to be able to get to go out to the races, give everybody a hug, see people race, see people compete, and start up that aspect of ultra running, which we all miss so dearly. Brian and Megan have really done a fantastic job over the course of the last several years, building a community within trail and ultra running. Their website, I Run Far, I don't need to tell you all that it is a hub of the community where everybody goes to for all different types of information, information on the races, information on how to train for them, and information on just how the community is doing with some of the profiles that they do for everyday ultra runners. I really like this conversation. We had a lot of fun with it. As you guys can tell, it got a little silly at times with some of Brian's, uh, with some of Brian's metaphors that he started to throw out on various things. And I hope this episode really brings a smile to your face and helps you realize that there's a light at the end of the tunnel of COVID-19. We're all going to get to see each other again, and we're all going to get to go out to the races again. So here we go. Let's get right into it. Brian Powell, Megan Hicks, I Run Far. We're on if you want to be on. All right, we're on then. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I feel like I feel like industries like ours are just like in a complete lurch right now. Like it's hard to predict the future of, I mean, our industry is going to be incredibly different until there's a vaccine for COVID and you know races of large kinds like large the types of travel and mobility that we used to have um yeah even just like city group runs and you know groups getting together at more than a few people to train or whatever the entire life of our community is different i would say that it's a compromise on everybody's part and probably one that people wouldn't otherwise make i mean it's race directors don't want to be putting on race for the most part, don't want to be putting on virtual events. They want to be holding their real races in person and that fosters community and, and, you know, on the participant side that that's what one of the main benefits of participating in a, in a organ in the sport in an organized way is getting together. And, and whether you're meeting up with friends that you've known for a decade or two, or just running into new people, being able to talk to them about the sport that you're so excited to now be joining. Um, I think as soon as people are able to safely get back to, to the physical races, there'll be a couple outliers. Like there's some people that are 
love to and very good at putting on spectacles of various sorts that get people excited in a virtual sense. Um, I think though a couple of those will continue, but you're not going to have, <clears throat> you know, if, if there's a vaccine early next year, there's not going to be the UTMB and then the virtual UTMB run alongside, or I hope not. Like, I, I just don't think that the, <laughs> truly, like, I mean, I think this part of this sport is we're doing the best we can right now on all sides. And yeah, I, I think we'll, for the most part, switch away from the, the virtual model. I think, yeah, I think you're, oh, go ahead, Megan. Oh no, you go. Uh, I, I was gonna, I was just going to put in a cheeky comment. I think you guys don't want to have the virtual UTMB coincide with the real UTMB because it puts another thing on your plate to cover. <laughs> Fortunately, we're not covering virtual races. So. Yet, yet. <laughs> go ahead, man. That would be a compromise. <laughs> a couple of cool things that have come out of this virtual scenario that like may you know continue on like um what james varner abram dickerson have done with the trail running film festival turning it virtual instead of you know trying to travel from city to city and have gatherings in the traditional sense like how cool is it i mean the technology is there to bring people together virtually let them see things with you know like movie theater style the comfort of your own home like that's cool that's super I could, cool i could see that moving forward where maybe they have a, a mixed model like yeah, maybe totally. they do a three-week tour with x set of films and then have the you know because it'd be preferable to get in a movie theater and watch it with your friends yeah. and catch up but then to to have a a final showing it's a, you know a global gathering essentially yeah. i've had almost all of my athletes do one of the virtual races or the virtual challenges or whatever, just one of them. And it, it's kind of like initially it was like built out of necessity. And I, yeah. I use that word deliberately because they would tell me I, I need, I need use that word. I need to do something. And you know, you can debate if you really need it or not. Of course you don't, but you get the point. Yeah. But then after that, in, that initial exposure to the virtual event, some of them have said, I love this. I, I love doing it. I love the online community that, you know, I can engage with it, you know, for whatever reason, they just identify with how the, how the event was orchestrated. And then other ones have kind of said, man, this isn't, you know, this isn't really for me. And I think we'll start to see that. We'll kind of start to see that play out because we are looking, you know, we're recording this at the end of, at the end of June right now, we're still going to see this play out in some form or or some former capacity through the end of the year. So they're going to be, this isn't like a one month like test case. This is going to be like a 12 month test case where these, where the races, the physical part of the races are in some sort of flux. Yeah. I definitely think that there was a, you know, when the pandemic started and we were all locked down and we were just like searching for ways to connect with each other. Like, Everybody was like, yes, I shall do virtual events. <laughs> Give me an outlet. Anything to see somebody besides who's behind the, you know, four walls of my house. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, I think as Brian said, and as like this time is proving, like, you know, we are a community of people. We like to see each other's faces. We like to be each other, be with each other. And virtual events are not a complete replacement. And I just don't, I mean... There is an upside to it. I mean, if the virtual model, virtual event model could 
grow and there be some successes and some motivations in there and, and some continuation of it into the future. I mean, if you can create that excitement for the for that group A of your your coaching clients there, Coop, uh, that's that can reduce environmental footprint. Because like one of the, I mean, aside from the travel I do specifically for work, the vast majority of my travel, and it's not much, is to go race. Now, if I could find that same excitement um, once or twice a year and divert that from traveling to some destination, uh, there's benefit to that uh, and good that can be done that direction. I think a yeah. lot of... I think a lot of people are thinking about it that way too. Like, oh, well, I don't need to do 12 races a year. I don't need to travel specifically and create that footprint to 12 different places, many of which are, you know, across the Atlantic or across the Pacific every single year. I can have the same or a similar experience or get the same value out of something that where I can connect with people from everywhere from something that I can kind of create in my backyard. Did, yeah. did you guys, when you guys did operation inspiration, which by the way, from an observation standpoint, I thought it was an overwhelming success. I mean, all, like a lot of my athletes engaged with it. They all had a great time just seeing like the social media hits was fantastic. You guys raised a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it just so, stuff that like made my eyeballs pop out. What, 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 what did you guys learn? Like learn from that? Cause I kind of feel like you were like, all right, let's just see if this works. And and then like, totally. lo and behold, it does. <laughs> and it did. And like, I mean, I think I got a couple lessons out of it. One is if you give a community the opportunity to do good, a lot of them are going to choose to do good and actively do so. Um, I also think it, showed me that individuals or a small group of people can spark positivity in the world. Like it was definitely one of the goals was to a give individuals the opportunity to, to get out of their house and, and get, get active when maybe they haven't been, but also to share that positively on the internet. And in the time then was, I mean, I guess still uh, a lot of negativity and controversy and arguing on social media. And then just for a day, to have people's feeds filled with uh, just beautiful images of where they're running or decorated bibs of them out hiking with their family yeah. was like a really cool uh, experience. I want to add to that that um, what I run far in Operation Inspiration and all the participants did was like just one sort of prong of what the global trail and ultra running community did during April. There were several different virtual events sort of happening you know, weekend after weekend after weekend that were all fundraising for COVID related stuff. And I added it up in less than a month, trail and ultra running raised over half a million dollars for COVID related relief research, et cetera. And short period of time, you know, sort of like you said, punting these events out there, just, you know, with not a lot of planning, trying to just do good and do something and boom, like we did a lot. It was really, it was really awesome. Yeah, that's a huge impact. I mean, not only in, in absolute terms, half a million bucks is never anything to sneeze at, but also in terms of like how big the community is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, Did I you mean, guys have a, when you guys were sitting there like in Silverton, this whole thing's like coming down. And like you said, there's like a lot of negativity on social media. Like, you know, people are bashing this, bashing that. We're never going to be able to get outside. Woe is me. Western States is canceled and all this kind of stuff. Did like, did you ever have the sense of like how big of an impact that would actually have? 
I don't think so. Not in the original ideation phase. Like maybe we could have imagined that scale of participants, but I don't think that amount of positivity or positive impact. I don't think that really was in our all was on our radar. Yeah, I mean everything that everything we're doing right now, we're like creating it from like you said, like zero. Haven't done, haven't done it before. And that, that was that was a cool thing. Like as you were talking about, uh, like the total of for all the races that raise money over that. The vast majority of that, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, was not from race organizations. And that's not the poo yeah. race organizations. It's just like you and me creating, for, for one example, something completely from scratch in the Yo Corro en Casa group over in Spain, com- creating something completely from scratch and and the Trail Sisters event. And like all these were just like. Yeah people inventing the wheel each time and alone to do good. And like, that was just amazing. <laughs> well, speak, speaking of wheels, you, you guys are like the hub of the ultra running community. Like there's, there, there are other publications and other like media outlets and even, even people on social media out there that have engaging, you know, that have engaging personalities and try to, you know, engage their audience and things like that. But the two of you combined with the contributors that, that you work with, you guys have done such an amazing job of taking this widely different and uh, widespread, very small scale events in people and community, a community that exists across the entire world in really, really small pockets. And you've been able over the course of the last several years to kind of like bring them together with your content and on on your website. And Operation Inspiration was just an extension of that. And I'm kind of wondering, like, what? so you mentioned the things that it did for COVID. Great. Awesome. You know, you raised all this money. It's great for the community. Absolutely. But is it also as impactful to I Run Far in terms of you guys' ability to be a hub in the community? Um, I guess... What I would say about that is that um, our race coverage has typically been like the thing that, ha- you know, for years, it's been the thing that happens once a month that it, it, it in some way brings the community together. Um, you know, we go to a location, other runners go to a location, we bring that experience to whoever wants to pay attention to it around the world. So with the lack of that, Um, One of the, you know, the reasons that we've put together these two virtual events that we've done is to try to create some sort of global, organic level, global connective experience. We can't do it with our race coverage and race storytelling. So in the absence of that, what's a way to, you know, bring somebody from Eastern Europe in connection with somebody in, you know, Western North America? What's a way to have them get excited about on a unifying concept or event. And essentially, I haven't, I haven't even looked it up probably in five, four or five days, but I know when we had about half as many entrants as we do right now, there were 55 different countries represented among the entrants, which is more than we had in all of Operation Inspiration with 1,700. Yeah. I mean, in like, yeah, just countries of all sorts. I mean, you know, the ones you'd expect, but then the uh, Bahrain and Brunei and Bosnia, you know, yeah, but we're sticking on the bees. Yeah. <laughs> <Brazil>. <laughs> and then there's like, you see that and then it's fun seeing pockets sprout up of, so yeah, you have this, these, all these folks coming in from around the world, but then you have other little hubs. Like 
There's been a surprising number of people signing up from the Philippines, way more in Mexico, a group in tech, like a, a big cluster in Texas. And it's just kind of fun to see how, how atomic uh, <laughs> each, you know, it can be, but also how nucleated it can be. Like there's, there's little hubs that, that, that form. Nice metaphors. Yeah. I was, was <laughs> going to say the same thing. Bringing in chemi- bringing in chemistry and warfare are all at the same time. Good job. <laughs> 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 yeah, I totally lost my train of thought of where I was going to go to next because of that. Um, Sorry to stop this conversation in the tracks. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. It's all good, man. It's all good. But I mean, needless to say, like you guys, you guys feel like it was a win kind of all, like all the way around. At the same time, do you still want to get back to like your bread and butter? We need to go to the races and watch people compete and engage with the community in that way. Megan Hicks. Yeah, I mean, I, I miss humans so much. I mean, I, I'm like a categorical introvert. I check all the boxes for that personality type. But man, like I really miss the physical company of running with people and going to races and seeing people and uh, just getting pe- to watch people, you know, ha- have triumph and tragedy and like kind of the you know, the metaphor of life play out in a day or two in a race and getting to share that with other people. Yeah, like that's um, that's a really amazing part of our sport, how humid it is. Like, you know, some sports are so uh, just disconnected from the human experience, but our sport and, and our humanness are so intertwined. And yeah, I miss that. I mean, I don't miss seeing on airplanes. I don't miss seeing in airports. I don't miss like... <laughs> lack of sleep but i miss being being with people and telling stories for sure what about you i will say definitely off the bat and uh sort of continuing it's nice to have had a small pause from travel because i've been doing that in particular for for a decade now so it's nice to have three months at home or three months of not international travel so that was that was a pleasant break but I could definitely, you know, I'm excited to, to travel again and to, to see those events. Um, and I guess I, I definitely didn't have to travel as much the last three months, but, and I expected to catch up on life <laughs> <laughs> and take care of the backlog of work and do some home projects. Um, let me tell you, that didn't happen. Putting on two virtual events from scratch, along with still running the magazine side of Iron Far as we consider it, like yeah uh no rest for the weary um definitely you do have some lettuce and spinach and kale going in the backyard that is true <laughs> oh, you have a corona garden seriously you guys started a corona garden yeah. well it's because I, I had one before i moved out west and then i've been traveling every summer for the last decade so it was nice to finally attempt to grow things in silverton well, we're gonna stress the attempt because yeah yeah Woke up to the first day of summer last Friday, and yeah. all the beans I'd planted and some of the potatoes were scorched, done, frozen. <laughs> Bummer. I, I can I, I can totally empathize with that because my workload has doubled. Mm-hmm. Has it? Oh yeah. Like I mentioned this on um, Dylan's podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, that although I have like I have empathy for the people that are furloughed and laid off and everything that's going on there i i like personally have a hard time identifying it with because i'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off like trying to like manage all of these different like things that have kind of like 
come into its place. And I don't really know how to put, how to quite put a finger on that. So you and I, Brian, we're in the same, we're in the same boat there where I have not been able to catch up on things. (laughs) I think that metaphor of chicken with its head cut off is so apropos because, you know, I feel like I'm running around as hard as I can, frantically working and, but it's without, I mean, that's not, not the motivation, but it's, it's not like I'm working twice as hard and it's like I'm working overtime and getting paid for overtime at a job. Like it's scrambling, you know, as hard as we can and like just to try to get by because there's there's so much fallout in the broader outdoor industry and and you know people who do support us there's some that you know have jobs cut and you understand like they yeah. gotta they gotta cut support or whatever they have to do like right on um but it's 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 working twice as hard for half as much it's a hard situation <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit and let me kind of preface this from the get-go that if you guys want to be on or off the record about any of this, just, We're on. just say, just, just, just mention it. You know, I, I, I tend to not pull a lot of punches on this podcast and I know you guys try to try try to walk a very neutral line at, 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 at some points, but I want to, I, I do want to bring up this subject of the, the publishing and the digital magazine space. And Brian, you mentioned that there's a, there's an arm of Iron Far that is essentially a digital magazine. Mm-hmm. And that space right now is getting annihilated. Like you just look at what's happening in, in, in the publishing world, even in book publishing, it's just, it, everything is just getting completely decimated. And there's been these like really kind of novel attempts for some of the publishing outlets to like monetize their content. And basically they're moving to what, what small scale publishers have done for a number of years now, which is this like donor Patreon uh, type of model. And and most notably outside magazine, which is a big influencer in the space. I don't think that we can, inf- I don't think that we can overstate that they've moved to partially moved is a, a wrong word. It's not like they made a wholesale, you know, move over to this, but they have opened up an, a revenue avenue of, we want to solicit reader donations. We want you to like donate to our content, almost like NPR. That's what I thought of when I originally saw this, uh, when I originally saw this strategy, I'm like, this is what NPR has done for, for years, but for a paid for subscription based model to like move over to that. It, this is my opinion, not Byron and Megan's if I run far, <laughs> it kind of, it kind of like reeks of desperation because they haven't, made an attempt to engage the community to facilitate this, Hey, come and help us out because we're going to help you out. And then they all of a sudden switched over to it out of necessity. That's why I say it, 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 it kind of reeks of desperation, but you guys are in the industry. You guys are in that space. What have you seen play out? And you can either use like your experience from Iron Far specifically, or like anything else that you've seen kind of play out in the in that magazine space. Well, I think I can speak to the desperation. I, mean, I, think, that's, that's, I, think, that's, I think that's a really good choice of words yeah. because it yeah. it is, and it is not just in the outdoor industry, which I'm using as the, the yep. broad term, yep. and includes outside and Iron Far. Um, there's marketing whatever the industry is marketing is the quickest thing that can be cut yeah. uh, you don't want to cut your production if you're a, if you're a, a major outdoor producer like if you're producing shoes or apparel like you need to keep your your designers on staff you need to keep your your hub on staff but you can c- cut that marketing budget with an email 
Right. Yep. <laughs> or 10 emails, like, and you can do it instantly. So that's, and having spoken to people about past recessions or economic troubles, like it's always the it's first, just how it goes. always the first one to yeah. go hundred percent. And, uh, just kind of how it played out and me observing it in my world, um, kind of deals are developed, like partnerships are developed throughout time, but there's a lot of, they get worked on the end of one year and into the first couple months of the next. And, um, we had had a bunch of ours booked up kind of on an, a normal rate that they would normally be on. There were some still in development in March. And as soon as March came around, anything that was in development got like a hard pause, like, uh, and, and then like that, that sort of stood in that space of pause for most of March. And I can't remember exactly when, but I don't know if it was the end of March, beginning of April, the clawback started. It wasn't just, we're not developing deals. It's we're canceling like set contracts. Yeah. Um, to the point of, I mean, I don't, I would guess 40 to 50% of what we had on the books got pulled back. Uh, and, and that's with nothing else being developed going forward. So it was, uh, and I'm sure that's not, you know, I, I know the people in those marketing departments, it wasn't just like I run far. I'm guessing that's pretty indicative of, um, of most of the industry, mm-hmm. most of the publishing industry, media, whatever you want to create that umbrella. Um, I mean, you see it, you hear that in the, in the television space, the television ads, like, um, so I think, and especially in the, uh, the, the physical print media has been in a rough spot forever. Yeah. Yep. I mean, not, not that I want to take on extra work, but that's definitely a reason I run far is not entered in the publishing game is like, no, that's a, that's just a tough road to hoe right now. And, uh, I can't imagine being a, being an outside or being a, an, trail runner or an ultra running like or those equivalent magazines in Durance or Vista Trail in, in Europe, whatever it is, like it's been a tough area yeah. and it and it just got a whole lot tougher. So I'm gonna plug if you wherever you are in the world, if you have a trail runner or an ultra running, uh, if you're not a subscriber right now, go go subscribe. If you want a magazine to stick around, subscribe yesterday. Yeah. Like hundred percent. I would I would add to that that it's it's hard to speak for the other um, you know magazines or online media or whatever to sort of know their internal struggle but I mean I run far is traveling through this crisis courtesy of a you know the government loan and our Patreon mm-hmm. support um, our Patreon support has. I mean, we've had a dip because there are people who've lost their jobs and stuff like that. But um, largely, the Patreon family has remained strong and supportive. And yeah, I mean, that money is turning around, going straight into the pockets of all of our writers and stuff every month. And so um, we are, we feel so lucky that um, we have a supportive community who does want to you know, see us through this and give us their money each month. And I mean, I, I, I guess you can't fault another publishing entity for trying that model because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it works for some. Um, yeah. But it's, you it's, gotta it do what you gotta do. <laughs> but it hadn't really happened in, in media that includes print publications right. until very recently. That's right. Yeah. And I think it can it can maybe work in a in a better sense for a, a niche outlet, say like Trail Running Trail Runner magazine. But how do you do that with a, a diffuse 
audience like an outside. I mean, yeah, they do some long form, really in-depth stuff. They, tr they truly do have some, um, maybe a little sensationalist for my side of things, for my, for my like sometimes, but they do have some substantive journalism there or writing or whatever it is. But they also have a lot of, here's our gear reviews, but there's a hundred other outlets. Somebody could check out the, the latest, you know, rooftop box or yeah. uh, ski boot. But here's the difference. And it's something that, that, that Megan just said, you said you have a very supportive community and I would, I would actually change that to you guys helped create that supportive community. And that's the difference that that's the difference of where you can lean on that patron style audience in this time versus having to create it because yeah. you've created this, that you've, you've created in this and cultivated this very supportive audience that is going to stick by you for the most part. And I think that's a true statement just from what you guys just said. It's going to stick by you for the most part through kind of thick and thin to whatever means that they kind of whatever means that they can. I think that's the that's the real difference that we're starting to see play out is that the the information outlets, the media outlets that have gone to some length to cultivate their audience are good. They're just more resilient during this mm -hmm. downturn because their people will stick by them. And I think there's kind of a reciprocal nature there, like yeah, um, as you know, and I guess it is the creation of community in both directions, because I mean, as, as the COVID crisis was going on, you know, getting worse and like media, our brand partnerships are starting to get cut that already existed. I'm thinking we hadn't got a, a PPP loan yet. I'm thinking that, you know, Patreon is going to get cut in half. And I basically put out a note to our patrons, like, this is not the time that we're not making a plea. We're not, you know, saying, woe is me or we're desperate. But if we, if there comes a time when it is, like if it comes to, here's, here's the the end or the not, end. yeah, like we will, we promise to let you know, and like, you know, we're not going to say that until it, is, you know, it is time, and hopefully it never, you know, it isn't that time. <laughs> but we make that promise back to you, like we will let you know when. <laughs> this is the time to help if you're going to help. You're going to, you're going to have, here's my bold hashtag, not so bold prediction. If you ever get to that place, you're going to have people like come to you in droves and be like, I got your back. And I hope that never happens. And that's, but that's the kind of implicit of that is like that we wouldn't do that until that moment. Yeah. Yeah. We also wouldn't, we also wouldn't abandon the people who've, who've been behind us and with us this whole journey. So. Yeah. I heard you mention that on one of your on one of your uh, Patreon broadcasts, and I, I really appreciated the approach that you took because you could have, from the onset, at the very beginning of this, staring down, you know, staring staring in the face of fifty percent Patreon cut, all of your you know advertisers kind of running and canceling their contracts and things like that. You could have said, "Everybody who's giving us money now, give us more money." You could have very easily like like made that plea, and I I bet you would have been successful to that end even then. But instead, instead, and this is what I think is really cool. I feel like I'm just patting you guys on the back this whole time. I'm in a I'm in a giving loving mood today. But instead, you, no, 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 no. But in, but instead, instead, you kind of stuck to your ethos, which is to to like go out and do something for the community with operation inspiration and to the moon and that always you know those are what those are those things that like you can't ever like 
you give them to the bean counter and they're like, oh, I can't find the ROI for this. Like you spend X amount of money and blah, blah, blah. What do you kind of get back? Like it's, it's like esoteric and it doesn't happen for so far down the line that you can't really track, but it's going to work out in your favor. It's funny. I hadn't even thought about this is like this week we have our semi-annual pledge drive every year. And it's our, by far the bigger one, like the Western States week leading up to hard rock. We always have like, for the last couple of years, we've had a here, you know, here you can pick buy our stuff here. You can you know, sign up for Patreon because there's more people are more people are most engaged, let's say during this week um, or it's one of the weeks that they're most engaged. And it literally has not crossed my mind until, oh yeah, we, we didn't even do that until this moment. Like, <laughs> okay. Like, we're just, we're just in it, like doing as much as we can. Uh, yeah. To, to try to do some good and create some positivity and, and, and continue doing like the magazine side of things. We're always saying that though, like <laughs> when we're trying to like plan out things, we're like, what's the, what's the actual like value of this? And it's like, who knows? It's all, <laughs> it's all intangible value, you know? Uh, tr- I mean, trust me, as somebody who, you know, used to drive a lot of the operations of a small company, you can only get so granular and powerful yeah. with the answer to that question. And if you're trying to search for those answers too much, you're kind of wasting your time. You got to do things that like stick to your ethos. So. Yeah. And that's pretty much been the way we've done it for the last decade. So. Yeah. Yeah going to stick to it. Yeah. All right, Megan, I'm going to give you hard questions now since you feel okay, like I've, I've been like throwing, like throwing you, throwing you softballs. I want to talk about your production calendar a little bit, like going forward. Uh, so normally you have like this combination of informative and also like personal and inspirational types of articles that focus on like people and community and things like that. I can only speak to the performance side of it because that's what part of what I do as well, right? Write a lot of content and produce content on on the performance side of it. It has been a, like I've been on the freaking struggle bus, you know, the like 80 mile of a hundred mile struggle bus for like the last three months, because like the things actually aren't relevant, right? You're talking about like tapering. Let's see. Yeah. Are you saying you're, yeah. we're both puking our way around a turquoise lake right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're definitely puking our way around turquoise lake from the content <laughs> perspective right now. Probably with the metaphors today is, is pulling out so pulling out some good ones. Um, this is um, here. Uh, golly. It's both in- entertaining and horrifying at the same time. <laughs> that is Megan's life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but where, where, so where I was going with that is, is like, what do you think your, your normal content mix is going to look like for the, we're really realistically looking at kind of towards the end of the year before any sort of like, like routine races and performance things kind of come around. What does that look like for you guys? Yeah. I mean, as you probably know, our, um, Monday race results, news article got the boot as soon as the pandemic happened because mm, there's no races (laughs) and i mean when we can when justin and us converted to doing a weekly catching up with column to like check in with top runners or runners we haven't interviewed in a few years stuff like that we kind of thought oh maybe this will be like a two month long thing and here we are like four months four months into it almost four months at least of editorial planned Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, we're essentially looking for that to continue for the rest of the year. Um, but I would say that has probably been the only mm-hmm. change, essentially. I mean, we haven't, you know, we, we basically have stuck with all our columns as they were, um, whether it's educational, editorial, instructional, like they're all, they're all still 
in the works. I mean, we don't have the additional content of races, but changing Justin Mox this week and running to catching up with is the only change that's happened so far. And I anticipate the only one that's going to be yeah made at least for the next couple months. I mean, the, the content of the articles tends to follow different themes as the year progresses. Like, you know, people start writing about Western states and then they start writing about how they blew up at their race and the lessons that they learned. And, um, you know, there's, oh, it's the holidays and how to stay motivated through the holidays. And so there are these sort of uh, repeating themes. And um, so far this year, we've had some really divergent themes like, oh, we're going to talk about this novel virus for a couple of months fairly regularly Actually, the one of the great changes of uh, i have to say for this year's uh, uh editorial content and this was not planned because she says there's themes and it's none of that is planned none of that is right. like top down it's spoken what, yeah. it's it's what people want to write about like yeah. we don't very rarely <clears throat> pre-screen what topics will be but there's fewer western states articles this year we try not to to top down steer our writers too much so then a lot of them do write about western states and then we have 15 editor <laughs> our in- informational articles and it's like all right can we just tell next year to like write a few less <laughs> have you have you noticed any changes in like the consumption patterns though like the people that are going and visiting your website or like certain articles like being really hot or certain articles like flopping has that been any different i don't look and that'd be my purview seriously yep we don't write we don't write to clicks so i don't even look that's badass i love that i think there's less engagement on social media i think people are using you know during the time of covid and now the social justice issues conversations that we're having people are engaging with social media more on those issues than they are their you know their beloved niche sport and stuff but i think people are still clicking and going and reading in a fairly normal behavior i think i had to like give a potential brand partners some like just vague or you know broad numbers the other day and looked at like last month versus as a total like traffic wise versus like say in October or November of last year and they were similar I I just don't know what the breakdown is because we don't very intentionally don't look at I love the fact that I I love the fact though that you don't look because I, I I honestly I don't either like for the content that I that I put out Every once in a while, the our editor Jim Rutberg, who's who's also the, the co-author on my book, he'll send me something like, "Oh, this did really well," or "This did really poorly," or something like that, and kind of give me like the edges of the bell curve, just as like mm-hmm. inf- information or whatever. But for the life of me, if I were to be able to predict that, I would lose every single time. Like ju- literally, just this morning, he said the article that you wrote last week went off the charts. And when I turned it into him, I said, this is, I'm, I'm not happy with this. Like put it out there, but this sucks. And maybe I was just in a bad mood or whatever and come, you know, turn around like three days later. He's like, this is awesome. It, you know, I had great click through rates and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, whatever. Just keep not telling me this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, just, like, I mean, it, that, and that's very intentional is because we don't want to, I mean, not looking at any media in particular, but the broad scope of media these days, there's so much clickbait and listicle and i mean and we would double traffic in three months if we did that now i don't know what that would mean in the long term could 
a we probably hate ourselves and quit um but also we probably lose our the following that we have cultivated over the time but like we don't want to write articles to 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 aim toward the readers we're gonna write the articles that i mean i to get more readers i should say like we're gonna write the articles that or publish the articles we think should be published and written and I feel very strongly that, you know, you can make money off of writing clickbait and lists and whatever the viral topic of the moment is, but you are, you're sort of isolating yourself, you know, you're, you know, you're marginalizing the people you're writing about, or you're using, you know, somebody or some performance or some moment in time for your benefit. And yeah, I mean... I don't, I don't really think that the long run is, is thought about. You're also chasing the next level of salaciousness. <laughs> maybe that's a little, maybe that's a little bit too, too intense, but you guys get what I'm saying. Like if you're writing the clickbaity articles, like there's always somebody else out there that's going to write something more clickbaity. And so you got to keep like upping your game in order to, in order to, and you see that now where it's just like, Oh my God, where did this come from? And the and other, funny, if you ever go to a media bias checker, I forget the name of the website, but like something, if you search for that, like you just see these tails going off and oh not in trail running, but just like the more and more, like the, the more salacious articles. And it was really cool to have one trail and ultra runner. I really respect uh, sort of pull me aside at a race, like, I think like a year or two ago and say, you know, thank you for not being yellow journalism. Yeah. And like that is that reaffirm what we had done and like just reaffirm what we should continue yeah. to do. I'm thinking I'm starting to come to the, come to the opinion that people are starting to value that more because they can kind of see through it because it's become so watered down. I remember like really on in my coaching career, I, I wrote a lot as a contrib- as a contributing author to the stereotypical like mass media publications, you know, the runner's worlds and the outsides and kind of the real broad based things. And there was one incident in particular that like complete that completely like turned me off to that whole to that whole industry. I wrote some nutrition article where I gave a recipe and in the in the recipe were almonds. And when the article came out, and you guys see where I'm going here. When the article came out, I had this recipe here, and there's blah 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 blah. You know, you know, three tablespoons of almonds go ahead, blah blah blah. On the opposing page was a full page ad for California almonds, and I was like, wait a minute, you guys paid me. Yeah, you guys paid me my little fraction for my article. Great, I'm very thank- thankful for that. But you spun it off into an ad that you generated like 20 times the revenue from, and I don't see a dime from that. And there's an implicit there's an implicit endorsement from one to the other that the readers see because they're on opposing pages. That you did not agree to. No. Yeah. You irritated the yeah. shit out of me. We very specifically, one of the benefits of not having like a, we have a editorial calendar in the sense of this columnist is this day of this month and this columnist is the other day of the month. But we don't have planned out six weeks in advance what they're writing about, which means we can't do that. It's called cross-selling. And right. It drives me freaking bonkers in the industry. And we don't. We And like people who, you know, like, I know lots of people in the industry and we talk about like how to, how do you make things work? And they're always pushing the cross-sell. And like we, we don't. We never like, oh, we've got this article on this city coming up. We need to 
yeah. you know, go to their cha- their travel board and, you know, get an ad they post against it. Like, no, like that's just so, yeah. How many articles, how many articles were published about chocolate milk three years oh, ago? Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they had some powerful lobbying and, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of, mo- a lot of money behind their, uh, advertising going around. Um, let's pivot back to travel and races. Ping pong, ping pong, back and forth, back and forth. Do you guys have anything on your like race coverage calendar for the rest of the year? For race coverage? No. No travel? Um, not to say it won't, it couldn't happen. Um, it's definitely not happening the next couple months, um, still. Um, and I guess we would watch the situation to see if it improves. We're not going to go just cover a race to go cover a race if it's unsafe or imprudent to do so. Not not just unsafe for us, but just the wrong. The could doesn't mean the should. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Th- that's what I want to kind of to get at. I'm going to date. I'm going to date the recording of this podcast a little bit, but that's totally fine. You know, we're recording on June June 25th. And so as of today, pandemic. Oh my gosh! Like You're I've got two weeks. I'm t- two hours. I've got to get out of the prediction business because I keep doing pretty horribly at it. Um, but it looks like as of 3 p.m. Mountain Time on June 25th <laughs> that bad water is going to happen. I don't know if you guys have been following that, but like almost half their field has dropped out. Um, yeah. There was a freaking like earthquake that caused a huge landslide and the Whitney portals, like the race director, Chris Cospin is still like, nope, we're holding this thing. Like we're going to try to figure it out. So races like that are going to happen. It looks like speed goat might happen. Races like the bear looks like in September might happen. You guys are still taking this like comprehensive evaluation of, should we go and is it still relevant for us to go not just kind of like jumping at the next race opportunity to get out there and get more coverage i'd say yes on all counts <laughs> yeah like it is a for us like it, it it's a very calculated decision in terms of i mean it's a, a bad for business decision quote unquote but we're not going to go just chase korean baseball to put something on you know like, but like that's happening in sports Illustrated, right, right. no korean yeah, let's upgrade it to, to yeah. Japanese base. But no, like you're not going to just, you know, there, there's going to be a race and, you know, people are going to want to follow it and they are going to follow it. But like we're not, we kind of have a standard of level of in depth of competition that we cover a race. We're not going to go just cover a race that doesn't hit that just because people want to follow a race. And more importantly, like, you know, I, I don't even know that races should be held right now. I mean, uh, to be honest, and that's a, that's an unpopular... Or uh, oh. races that aren't regional events. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if... And maybe there are. Maybe there are races that you can put all the aid station controls and in good faith try to do that. You know, just limiting contacts, having wave starts. But you're still having... Bad waters, I think it's only going to be 60 people. But for the most part, you're having a couple hundred people travel from all over a state mm-hmm. all over a couple states all over a couple countries to one location and there's all that travel to get there there's you know you know you might have 10 person waves but all those friends are going to get together after the race and mm-hmm. have pizza and a beer or coffee or whatever and like should we be encouraging that at this point it's not like it's not like a family going up to the mountains and camping for a weekend and running mm-hmm. on their own it's 
it's a, it's quite literally a communal event. hundred percent. So since, since I'm out of the prediction business, that's not gonna, that's not gonna stop me from making you guys get into the prediction business. What's, what's the, like, what do you guys think is the first big race that you guys will go back to? Like if you could look in your fuzzy ass crystal ball right now, like what does it tell you? I mean, I would honestly guess it's not till next year, like a trans grand Canaria t- kind of timeline. Yeah. Um, that was the last one we were at. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, in fear, like I wish things would progress in a positive direction such that maybe, uh, maybe JFK got super competitive this year. And that would be awesome. I would love to go cover JFK like for a multitude of reasons, but I, we did, I mean, and there could be stuff earlier than that. I mean, there's the golden trails, world championships they've now moved to like October and the Azores of Portugal. I mean, there's, there is stuff later in the calendar. Um, but I just, I don't know if I'm having a, not a good feeling. It's just being so uncertain that I would not say yes to anything or not be positive that I'd be going to anything before say next year. Do you think and that maybe, the, com- do you think the competitiveness of the really big races is going to look any different next year? I think there's, I think so. I think there'll be a concentration more so than even this year. I think people are going to be not, not desperate, but eager to win on the big or perform on the biggest stages. So I, I could kind of see a, a concentration of the, of people going to, I'm going to find a way to go run Western States or find a way to go run UTMB or whatever. I mean, whatever the next North face endurance challenge championship is. Yeah. So I mean, that for a while I was hoping that might happen this fall because yeah. enough races have been canceled. A couple were postponed, but enough have just been canceled that you have all this pent up demand from the racers to race, and you could have a really, I mean, you might have some burnout, but I think you'd have a lot of people showing up on a, just a couple start lines, which would be really great because there has been a a dilution of competitive depth, um, just because there are so many great events around the world and events eager to bring people and people are eager to experience the world. So you just have a lot of, a lot of B level races. And I don't say that disparagingly, but just that there's so many good races out there. Yeah. That- I've, I, I've said that for a few years now that the sport would be well served to try to like concentrate the competitiveness around, around a fewer high quality races because it's, it's good for the exposure of the sport. It's not good for the exposure of the sport when you have people winning high-profile races by hours. Yeah, those are awesome performances. You don't take anything away from the athletes, but you still want a competitive, exciting race where people are, you know, plowing down from Roby Point, you know, neck and neck, and they get on the track within three seconds of each other, and they're like sprinting to the finish. Like those types of things, like time and time again, create like cool storylines. It gets more people in the sport. It's fun for everybody. It's fun for us to like watch it, and the athletes yeah. like it as well. Like the athletes who get to compete in that like head to head, consistent fashion. I think they really kind of relish that versus just running around the middle by themselves or whatever. And there might is. be three of them. That's, you know, three strong women or three strong men that start that next level race. Yeah. And then one has an injury or drops out. And then there's two. And you know, as you said, one wins by a couple hours and then, you know, what is that? Yeah. It's not, it's not a bad performance, but it's not as exciting from a, from a viewer standpoint or a, what do you think? 
think in terms of what's gonna or what the next yeah, race is gonna are be. Are we all gonna see each other at a race again? Oh man! Well, I can see you guys on my video conference right now. Um, I, I'm in the same camp. I'm in the same camp as you, Brian, where I think that Trans Grand Canaria is gonna be the first one that brings people together. Um, and but it is going to be. And I think that this is a good thing. It is going to be touch and go because the differences in the restrictions from country to country, not only with people coming in, but people getting out of the country is just going to, it's just going to force a concentration of elite athletes and everyday athletes alike on kind of on, on certain races. And I think from the competitive side of things, I honestly think that that's, that's good. Like when you can get deeper, higher quality fields, it's more exciting, as I mentioned earlier. And if the conduit to that just happens to be this weird weirdness, I don't know how else to describe it. (laughs) It's weirdness that we're going to go, that we're going to go through, through the early part and maybe even the latter part of next year, you know, so, so be it. But yeah, if I had to, if I had to put down a bet down in Vegas, it'd be Transgrand Canaria. Which is really surprising. We both hit on the same race. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of races out there. I, know. I mean, it could be, it could be that that is competitive, but it's not quite right to just travel from the U.S. to share the event yeah. yet. So maybe it would be, you know, I mean, how do you justify? It? I mean, you're a coach, but how do you, you know, if that's just on things opening up, can you oh. go over there? Well, so here's the timing of this, right? I mean, you realize this because we both saw each other on the island. Like I left like it was either like the last day of February or the first day in March. And it's, it's extremely difficult to think back that far because it seems like three years, not three months has transpired (laughs) since then. But I, I like, I remember sitting down with my wife, Liz and going, "Eh, like, maybe I shouldn't go to this race. I'm certainly not mission critical. I like going out there. That's probably the biggest reason that I do go to these things. I just like it. Yeah. It's you know beneficial for my athletes and things like that. And yeah, there's B2B stuff that happens when I go out there, but it is certainly discretionary. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I remember going through just a little small inkling of that before I left. I traveled, I spent two days on the Eastern seaboard doing some business stuff and recording a couple podcasts. And then I hopped over to the Island. And from the time I landed into the, the time I landed on the Island to the time that I left, things escalated, you know, in like hockey stick style fashion where Spain was like one of the epicenters of the outbreak. And so for a while I'm like, do I even, do I even travel out of here? Or do I like quarantine myself on this Island, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, You'd still be there. Yeah, I'd still, I'd still would be there. Um, I, have an, had to import Liz. I have an athlete that's been in Costa Rica since like November. Cause he's like, I'm not leaving anyway. But anyway, yeah. so I remember, I remember going through that. You have to go back through, or I had to go back through Madrid and going, do I even really want to do this? And then the day after I got back was the day that all of the airports got shut down and you saw these huge lines trying to come in the international terminals. I'm like, I didn't experience any of that. Like I missed that by 24 hours or something. And to your point, Megan, like I had a huge amount of traveler's remorse from that. Like I, I shouldn't have done that. I, you know, brought, you know, risk into the situation. I could have been a silent care carrier. Liz, you know, my wife's going back to the high school and, you know, now she's going to spread it through Colorado Springs. Like I had this really big, like maybe a couple week period where I was like, dang it, I made a, I, I made a, I made a big mistake. But the, like the learning lesson in that is like, people are going to go through that. They're going to learn from their friends and this experience that I'm now verbally telling you guys. But also through the experiences of like, 
other people and what they've done in the past, what they've personally done in the past. And that is definitely going to make me more gun shy about going out yeah. to trans grand Canaria, especially since I am, I am certainly discretionary in that, in that situation. We, even after we kind of committed to going to the race, remember the week before I traveled, like even like a day or two before, like, do I go? We were thinking like, of pulling the plug. Yeah, it was yeah. weird. I mean, and things yeah, once it, it was almost like when we were in the air, things escalated. It's like from the time we left to the time time we touched down, it's like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> there was enough beforehand that I carried like a and wore on the plane like an N ninety five mask that I we'd use to like air seal and insulate an attic the previous fall. So like all dirty. I'm like oh, yeah. on the plane. I'm like, yeah, it's what I got. <laughs> I took I t- I took alcohol wipes out of my foot care kit. And I traveled like the little small, like one inch by one inch alcohol wipes that you use. Innovation. Oh my God. I use like four or five of them. Like every time I like sat down, I had this little pile of like single serve alcohol wipes that I had to throw away. You should have just gone to like a barbecue joint and gotten a big one. Exactly. So I was being somewhat responsible, but it was pretty hilarious because we were trying to like hack the whole, hack the whole thing together. But then once again, coming back was the bigger thing. And I actually, now that I remember this correctly, I got stuck in Madrid overnight unexpectedly because of mechanical. Mm. So I was there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was just yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. And so this whole thing is escalating and watching it on the news. Like, Oh my gosh, like this could turn from bad to worse really quickly. But I remember like we were talking like, you know, about whether I go and at all or not. I mean, and I mean, through the organization, like they helped put up a couple of journalists, but I was like supposed to be in a, a shared room with two other people. And like last minute I decided like, I don't know where these, who, I mean, I don't know who I'm rooming with. Yeah. I don't know where they're coming from. I mean, these are tight. This is three adults in a two adult person type room. Like I'm going to pull out a wad of cash from my pocket and like, just not re, you know, get possibly get sick. And, you know, Silverton is a pretty remote town and there's a, in a, a lot of elderly people and like it's a close knit town too. So you're just, even if you're careful, there's contact in the street. So it's like, I am going to do whatever I can to, to be preventive and, and then sort of self-isolated for three weeks afterward. But so we've learned a lot of lessons from that little bit of traveling right beforehand. What do you don't push push the envelope? That's the lesson. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> what what else do you guys want like the trail running community to come out the other side with after this pandemic is over i keep th- i keep saying this like it's a light switch it's going to happen but it's not but you guys I have seen no well on or off yeah no okay. <laughs> um but you guys have seen you guys have definitely seen some some real positivity as an outcome of the COVID-19 pandemic. You guys have helped create that, but you've also seen the community kind of engage in that. What do you hope is everlasting from this whole experience? I hope, I would love to see it become normalized that people don't race as much as they do Mm -hmm. for multiple reasons, but the largest reason being for um, athlete health, longevity, like, yeah, just having having a career, being a healthy person outside of your running. Um, I guess when the pandemic started and we locked down, that was my first thought was like, oh, this is the period of time where our community discovers we can just race once every six months and like, you know, tear it up, have these incredible performances that we can't reach 
because we race every month and a half or two months or whatever. Um, yeah, and so I don't know if that's yet happening because I see people like pushing themselves pretty hard in some of these big long virtual events. Um, so I don't know how many people are just sort of buckled down training, not doing, you know, ridiculous things and trying to like, you know, be in really good shape for something this fall. But like, to me, that'd be super cool to see all these people who just trained consistently, turn up at some race at the end of the year, the beginning of the next year, like really fit and be like, oh, this is what we can do with this sport if we rest a little more. <laughs> I put this out on Twitter the other day. So is, is 2021 or 2022, is that going to be the year of the PR? Seriously. I hope. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. Because like what, what all of us are theoretically into four months of, you know, not no races. Mm -hmm. So what a good potential hmm. consistent training block. We probably have at least four of those months to go. Um, and I would say that kind of you were as Cooper a while back, you were saying how there's a break between your athletes and people liking the virtual races and, and people who don't. I think Megan's talking about a group of people who are, are in these times finding motivation to train and continue with it. And I think there's a, a large group of people who are having, a, having difficulty with that. And I'm hoping mm -hmm. that I, I'm one of them. Like I'm running every day, but and as much as I want to have some fun summer adventures, like I'm not, not finding myself training in a, in a real sense. And I hope for people like myself and, and a lot of others, like this is not a, a unique situation right now, um, that they're able to do two things. One is learn how to deal with the other stressors in their life and, and how to either modify their habits to change those stresses or to be able to fit better fit their running with those stresses and also to just dive down and have a better grasp of what their motivations are for mm. running. And, and cause those, those evolve over time. Like what my motivations to run were 25 years ago or not the motivations I have to run today or, or, or what they were 10 years ago. So like find to find out what those motivations are. And I think having a vacuum where like those aren't obvious, like if I had a, a hard rock on the calendar and I'm training for it, like it's easy just to put the head down and train for it. But now in a vacuum, what what do I get out of it and what do I want out of it and to, to come to that realization. You have to be more deliberate with why you're doing it in the first place, mm -hmm. right? Not just a belt buckle. Yeah. All right, I got one more thing for you. One more thing for Megan, actually, specifically. Brian, you can step aside. <laughs> I'm um, just going to go some coffee. Yeah, to totally selfish. <laughs> totally selfish. I'm going to do Nolan's in a couple weeks. What critical piece of advice can you give me? Which direction are you going? I'm going to go north to south because I just know the lines better in that direction. Um, I know you went south to north, right? Bring a bunch of food on Princeton. <laughs> Princeton that's it? Cross, that's all you right? got for me? Bring a lot of food? Come on. Kay's <laughs> um, cheeseburger? Yeah. Can I come bring you a Kay's cheeseburger 100%. before you head up Princeton? Yeah, you can absolutely do that. I love that place. <laughs> I went by there the other day, by the way. They're still rocking. Case Cheeseburger, for those of you who are listening, is this classic 50s uh, burger place. My dad actually used to go there when he was in high school. My dad grew oh, up really? in Pueblo, yeah. And I sent him a picture of it. He said it hasn't changed every time I go there. 
Um, but yeah, it's this classic like 50 style uh, walk up counter burger joint in uh, Buena Vista, Colorado. I have to make sure I pronounce that correctly, otherwise people Buena Vista. Buena Vista yeah, people get mad at me. And they're they're like one one of their little like tchotchkes or fun things that they do with, uh, uh, with their, with their guests is they give them all names of celebrities that typically were famous, like in the fifties and sixties, maybe the seventies. Yeah, exactly. Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Which is fun. So bring a cheeseburger on Princeton. Come on. You got to give me something better than that. Start. I mean, you can't start Nolan slow, slower. I mean, slowly enough, slowly enough. (laughs) All right. It's impossible to start it slowly enough. All right. Um, I mean, you've done tour de géant and long ass things, so like embrace. Well, this will be the, easy. <laughs> embrace the, the hallucinations, yeah. like become one with whatever your mind creates. Oh, there you go. I like that. Be one with the hallucination. I'll try to. I'm gonna throw one in there as the observer, and I I should have observed and given it to Megan, uh, one attempt to go, and that would be. Weather window, yeah, and don't be afraid to bail that first, you know, the first two peaks in. If you're on, if you're on Elbert and it's just not a great day, and not a great day, yeah. go back out two days later because, yeah, seeing Megan get like thrown around in eighty mile, or, or seeing the winds like howling on the tops of, of Chavano and like uh, maybe she should have done this tomorrow. <laughs> that's when I've been scouting it. That's exactly what's been happening to me is the winds have been so bad this year. I've just gotten freaking pummeled. So advice that's well funny. heated. I, I saw your um, GPS or your Strava wandering around on the Nolan's line. And I wondered if you were about to give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go back out this weekend again. So. Like I said, I'm giving it a go. I'm talking to Blake, Blake Wood on Monday. I'm going to ask him for for some advice as well because I need it. I need all that I can get. Advice is uh, up the boulders, down the scree. Yep, that's like that quintessential Blake Wood advice. Yep, yep, that's exactly what I'm planning on doing. All right, folks. Um, anything else that you guys want to plug from Iron Far that's coming up? Nope. Um, Not for mine. Yeah, I mean, who knows when you'll get to actually hear this, but, and who knows where we'll be in the pandemic, and um, yeah, I mean, we have a couple, like, brainstorms for what fall projects we might undertake, but um, hopefully we'll be recovering from our latest endeavor when this podcast comes out. Which is out. funny, I just have to share the, the a little anecdote from after the first, from after Operation Inspiration Virtual Race, it was definitely the scenario of, if you were to ask the person finishing their first 100 miler... <laughs> Will you ever do this again? Like the next day, somebody's like, when's your next one? I'm like, never, ever. <laughs> and it's now like, you're like, yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> and even at the time, I was like, ask me in another three or four days. <laughs> Could change, but it's sparing this all forever. I need the puffiness in my feet to go down before I can consider it. Oh, the ultra running metaphors. We love it. All right. We're going to let you guys go. Thank you guys for coming on the podcast today. Thank you guys, more importantly, for what you do for the community. If you guys can't tell from the, for the, well, I mean, I'm, I, I have a, 
I, I trust me, I'm I'm very realistic about the impact that I can have with athletes. You guys have an impact across the entire community, and you've done a fantastic job with it. I've been big fans of yours for a long time, Brian. You probably don't know this back when your blog days, when your when I Run Far was a blog. I can remember my marketing manager actually coming up to me saying, "You've got to read this guy's blog. It's actually kind of good." <laughs> um, so yeah, so all the way back to those days, and uh, it's been it's. It honestly has been, um, it's just been really fun seeing you guys take that website where it has gone and along the same time uh, growing the community with it. So thank you guys for what you do. Thanks, Coop. Onward. Thanks for, yep, thanks yeah. for, uh, hopefully we uh, see you at an event soon or a trailer. Soon. Yeah, good luck at Nolan's. Yeah, soon enough. Thanks, you guys. Good luck at Nolan's. And there you have it, folks. That was really fun. It got a little silly at times. Thanks a lot to Brian and Megan for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate their time, but more importantly, I appreciate who they are and what they do in the ultra running community. It is just an invaluable service that they provide to all of us. If you have not gotten the chance to do so, head on over to Patreon and become a supporter of I Run Far. You can do it at any level you want, but it makes a big difference to them and it makes a big difference to the community and also the information and the quality of the information that I run far can put out, which is absolutely top notch. Thanks to all the listeners out there. I appreciate each and every one of you. If you are so inclined, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give this podcast a rating or a review. I would appreciate that a whole heck of a lot. I also appreciate the feedback that I get on social media. It's always fun to see my Instagram and my Twitter feed filled up with what people think about this particular podcast. I appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you. We will see all of you out on the trails.